And we're back with another Table Church podcast. I say and we're back because we just finished recording another one. Did you need to explain not, that? Not that everybody would necessarily realize that. Most people just keep listening. I mean, they don't have any sense of when we record them, right? No. So, this could be like five years from now. It's one twenty-six p.m. on Thursday, January 7th. 2021. <laughs> yeah. Where when bad things happen, we can't blame the year anymore. Uh-oh. We lost that one, huh? We lost it. Oh. What do you do then? Uh, well, we're on, it's a new year, new podcast, and a new topic. We're talking about adoption today, and I'm excited to do this because um, <laughs> we've had so many kind of downer discussions yeah. uh, lately. We spent like 10 weeks on, you know, the grossest yeah. ingrown hairs of the church. Let's not even go there. Let's just move. Let's just keep going. Moving on. Talking about adoption. I know a lot of people that um, that have adopted, including you. You've adopted. Yeah, so have you. And I have to. Mm-hmm. And uh, also, I know a lot of people that are interested in adoption. People, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know how many times, like all the time. Yeah, all like, the time. We've thought about adoption. Before. I mean, because people who know that we have adopted kids obviously come to us to ask right. questions about I suppose that's adopting. Why. Yeah, this would, <laughs> <laughs> you hadn't put that I'd together. I never made that connection. <laughs> <laughs> it just seemed like an obvious correlation to me. But then again, in my strengths finder, I am a relator and you a know, connector. That's true. And. <laughs> Maybe it's just that I kind of forget that I have d- I've adopted sometimes. Yeah. You know, like I don't look at Vienna as my adopted kid. Mm-hmm. Um, it just isn't on the front of my mind all the time. So anyway, Megan, how are we starting this out? Mm, well, I think the best thing to do is just to provide some context. So okay. do you want to just explain in a nutshell, you know, your um, encapsulated adoption story? Okay. Like, how do you decide to adopt mm-hmm. someone and yeah. what what happened? It'll be afterward. good because because our adoption stories are pretty different. Um, ours is an international adoption. Yours is domestic adoption from foster mm-hmm. care. Um, I guess ours is from foster care, too. Uh, she was a foster mm-hmm. child as well. Um, the Congolese foster system, not yeah. the American. Uh, Vienna's from the Democratic Republic of Congo. And, you know, I've been to Africa quite a bit. I don't know how many times I had been. It, this wasn't like a knee jerk. You know, you go to Africa for the first time, you see all the poor kids. You're like, oh, we got to do something. You know, yeah. I had I had been going for years. I think it was like three years after. Three I'd probably been there at least something. a half dozen times, yeah. you know, at this point. Um, and I just remember on the plane ride home from that particular trip to Zambia, um, just kind of this knowledge. It's like, this is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to take our considerable resources, um, you know, as comparatively speaking worldwide, we're, we're wealthy. You know what I mean? I'm supposed to take that. I'm supposed to leverage on the on behalf of a child that just doesn't have a forever family. And, and there's a lot of them all over the place, not only in Africa, but everywhere. Mm -hmm. And it's important. I'll add this before I forget to say it. I say this a lot though. Kids who don't have a forever family or kids who are displaced does not necessarily mean they are an orphan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because an you... orphan has no parents alive, right. no living parents, mm-hmm. or no living parents that they know of. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and there's a difference between an orphan and a child who needs a forever family. Mm-hmm. Good. So just a little side note, Yeah, I might throw more of those in. Just for there, nomenclature, it's important to say this isn't about orphans. Mm-hmm. It's about children who are displaced for right. one reason or another and need a permanent home mm-hmm. and family. Yeah. So. Yeah, I won't go too deep into how Vienna became displaced, um, but, you know, she did. And she was in an orphanage for a time as a baby um, before uh, going into a foster family. And, um, we, we were drawn to Africa. We just have a passion. We just love Africa and, and there's challenges. And so, um, Congo was, we, we found a, a really reputable agency that has had a lot of experience in Congo. In fact, they were the first, uh, as my understanding is they were the first American agency to adopt out of the Congo. Um, but anyway, I, and I'm not going to go deep into it either, but our, our process got very difficult. Um, just so you know, our entire process took three and a half years including about two of those years where we didn't actually know for sure if Vienna would ever come to mm-hmm. the States. 
Because it didn't take long to get matched with her, right? It you took about a year. Referral, like, it feels like it didn't take too long. I think she was, what, like six she months old? She was six months old, but we we had been in the process for a year at that yeah. point. Yeah, you had started the process, mm-hmm. done the home study, done all that. And then by the time you really were officially in, I think it took like, what, like six months or something mm-hmm. to get matched. Average time when we started, they were saying for Congolese adoptions was 14 months. Mm-hmm. So three and a half years later, she she came home. Mm-hmm. And, and in, for, like I said, about two of those years, because of all sorts of international, legal, um, bureaucratic things, um, some of them legitimate, some of them, of them not, uh, it, we just weren't sure if it, what was going to happen. And mm-hmm. it Even was very difficult. Even long after she was actually adopted. Right. She was Vienna Wiseman, like under Congolese law, she was our daughter, but we could not take her out of the country. We could have moved to Congo and raised her. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was probably the darkest season of our life, and it was a very long season. And mm-hmm. um, but praise the Lord, you know she's home now. And uh, so that and, and now now that she's been with us for some time, um, and we've gained some distance, I'm like, man, you know, the Lord definitely forged something in us through that season. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Mm-hmm. That's kind of our story. I don't know. Is there anything I left out that I should have said? Mm, it just was long. It was long and hard. And I don't know what else to say. Until like, the very end, you really had no clue if she would ever get to come yeah. home. We went so. to Congo with the hopes of trying to move things along, um, shake some trees. And maybe the hardest thing we've ever done in our lives is having to leave her there. Mm-hmm. You know, we spent 10 days with her. Um, and again, like she's legally our daughter at this mm-hmm. point under Congolese law. And um, we couldn't take her home. Mm-hmm. That was really, really hard. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember because <laughs> she just had a birthday recently. And I remember every time that it's Vienna's birthday, I remember like the years of birthdays where you guys knew it was her birthday mm-hmm. and she was in Africa mm-hmm. and you were here. And there was like the first year that she had a birthday and you guys weren't together. It was like very sad, but there was this hope that it would work out and then when we got to the next birthday mm-hmm. and she still wasn't here yeah it was, just it awful. was like somebody died yeah it was awful <laughs> it was terrible because you're in this liminal space where you don't you we actually didn't know if it would ever happen mm-hmm. like very possible it wouldn't you know yeah. so yeah um but not not to discourage people from adopting well i mean but it is to be real i won't be straight up like it is <laughs> not for the faint of heart it is not it is not. And I remember when you guys brought Vienna home, um, and we're actually going to answer some questions later. And one of them is like how to be prepared as a family to bring home a new child. Uh, and then also how to help be prepared if you have a loved one doing the same thing. Because there's some good tips there. But it's good. Um, right. Your turn. I remember when you guys brought Vienna home, I feel like it was one or two weeks after you had like there was a few weeks there where you guys just kind of stayed at home and only did that Mm -hmm. and then you guys came back to our house for breakfast night which we would do every week Mm -hmm. and we got back into that rhythm and i remember the first night that you guys were there to have dinner at our table there was like this moment where something clicked inside of me and i was it felt (laughs) i remember thinking it at the time i don't know if i ever told you this but um i've told jim obviously but we were sitting at the table and Vienna was finally in place like she was here and all that. Um, and I remember it felt like a like a baton pass. <laughs> like I was like, now we need to do this. Mm. So um, and it was like, uh, what month did she come home? It was like summertime. right? Yeah, it was July. Yeah. OK. Um, and so, yeah, because Rowan was born in October and mm-hmm. yeah. Um, we had just been there in May. Yeah. <laughs> um, couldn't bring her home, but then we got the call that she had been cleared, mm-hmm. and then I couldn't get a visa to get back in the country. Plus, Natalie was really pregnant with Rowan. Yeah. Um, and so our agency brought her to us mm-hmm. in Chicago. Yeah, it was a big old mess. Yeah. And then it was done. Um, but uh, yeah, so you guys brought her home, and I remember like this thing that had been sort of brewing in us, and we knew it was probably imminent. Um, it was all of a sudden like. I feel like we just need to do this right now. So um, we had, I don't think there's a time in our adult lives, which is also our married life. <laughs> All of that's the same amount of time. Yeah. I don't think that there's a time in our adult lives that we weren't actively thinking that we would adopt someday if 
the circumstances came together for it. That wasn't mm-hmm. something that we needed to like decide to do. It was very obvious to us. And so for Jim and I, I can remember before we were married, it was just like, yeah, we would absolutely do that someday. And we're both pretty pragmatic people. It wasn't like mm-hmm. this big, like heart wrenching thought process or like we weren't just like bleeding hearts about something. It was just like, well, of course mm-hmm. <laughs> we would do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we had, our four older kids all very quickly, four kids in four years. And then when they had gotten into like upper elementary, middle school, um, we kind of felt like it was like the zone where they were old enough to be fully a part of the process of adopting, Mm -hmm. but young enough to get to be a family all together, you know, Mm -hmm. a unit. Otherwise we were, we were like, we either do this right now or we have to wait until they all go to college and then we're empty nesters and then we basically like restart hmm. at the beginning. And we didn't want to do that. And so we were like, let's let's just do it. So um, and we, it was always really clear to us that we would adapt from foster care. Like, I don't remember ever deciding to do that. It was just something we always thought we would do that. <laughs> so that was, that was just about it. It was just about timing. So we realized, like, this is the right time. This is the time for us to do it. Um, And the only way that I can say that, um, I guess is that we just knew we should do it. (laughs) Like if people, I think we're going to answer this question later, but someone asked like, how do you know that you're ready to adopt or how do you know that you should? Because obviously many people think, oh, that would be a good thing, Mm -hmm. you know, but to do it or not, to pull the trigger or not. And all I ever answered to that question is we just knew we needed to do it to be obedient like that Mm -hmm. was it there was obviously we didn't need more children you know four four is plenty (laughs) four is enough um and we it wasn't that we couldn't have children you know things like that um we just knew we needed Mm -hmm. to do it and we needed to do it right now and so we did so we went through bethany christian services with their foster to adopt program which is really incredible because you get all of the like excellent training that Bethany can give when it and support that is ongoing to um, when it comes to all adoptive families, but you also get uh, full training as foster parents too. And so it's all kind of lumped together into this really rich and comprehensive training process and you're supported the whole way. It's just absolutely incredible. And then the whole goal behind that program is that, um, Like for you, Phil, with the agency that you use to go to Congo, there's um, a lot of particulars that they could bring to the table, that they Mm -hmm. understand the legal stuff, all of that. You know, it's really important that you understand where you know you need to adopt from and that you go to someone that can help you do that the best way possible. Yeah, they have Congolese lawyers on staff. And so for us, adopting from foster care, um, we went with Bethany because they have a program that's put into place to make it as um, complete a preparation uh, possible and as smooth of a process as possible for families in America to adopt kids from foster care without needing to be foster parents first. As in, like, we were trained as foster parents and could have fostered other kids through the state if we had wanted to. Mm -hmm. But the whole point is there are, uh, for people who don't know, there um, are... I haven't looked at the numbers recently, but something like 400,000 kids in foster care like at this moment cannot go back to a biological family member and have no permanent placement. They're just in the system until Mm -hmm. they age out unless someone adopts them. Mm -hmm. And so foster parents can adopt children who are open for adoption if that is something that they can do, um, if it's something that works out. But more often than not, what happens is um, kids kind of bounce because of legal problems and things like that and just a lot of different details through lots of different homes and then age out if they don't have a biological family to go back to, um, you know, for a variety of reasons. So um, Bethany wanted to make it as easy as possible for people who want to adopt from foster care to be able to do that without needing to become foster parents where, you know, for us, for example, we knew that we are like, we are a very like, uh, our family has a rhythm 
and mm-hmm. it's pretty consistent. Yeah. <laughs> like we're very, very like Those are like clockwork. Dedicated, disciplined people in general. We have a lot of fun and flow too, but there's mm-hmm. a lot of like we are not like, oh, I don't know every day. We just like figure it out. Like, yeah. no, nah, there's a there's a routine. Yeah. Um, and so we're just like Jim and I are both very pragmatic and systematic and um we're very like at home people, all of that. And we're very steady. So we were a really great fit to be a permanent home for children who need permanency. But we are not a good fit to be called at like two o'clock in the afternoon and somebody say, we have an eight year old boy that needs a placement right now. Can mm. you take them? Like yeah. that was not our flow. That's a different, that's a di- <laughs> different calling. That is a different <laughs> animal altogether. Yeah. Some families, and I know many of them are amazing at that Mm -hmm. like there are foster families i have some close friends many of them who foster and it is a calling and they are amazing at it um and i could see that and think okay this is not a good fit for Mm -hmm. us (laughs) and so anyway we knew we could adopt from foster care but we weren't going to be foster parents bringing kids in and out of our home so we um, went through all of the stuff with Bethany, very incredible people to work with across the board. Um, we found our daughter online the very first day that we had access to the portal. Mm. So um, basically how it works is once you go through your home study and all of that stuff and you're approved to adopt from foster care, you just get access to the like national portal Every kid in the system who is available to be adopted is in this portal. Okay. Kind of looks like Facebook for adoption. And so you're reading, uh, you have, you know, private access to like their profiles. Um, Much of it is redacted, but you have a lot more information than you would have if you were just looking at like adoptuskids.org or something Mm -hmm. like that. Um, And so we could have adopted from anywhere in the country. Um, and every circumstance is different, but the first day that we had access to the portal, we found a sibling group of three kids and, um, every one of us just thought that's it. Like we're going to pursue that. Mm. And so yeah, you three, guys were talking about getting yeah. like a 15 passenger van and stuff. <laughs> if we had to. Yeah. And again, I'll just say there was no logic to this that I could give you advice and say, here's how we decided. No, it's just like, we just felt confident about moving that direction um and by confident i mean we had no idea what we were doing or what was coming but we just Mm -hmm. felt like that's what we needed to do there was just a simple piece about it so that's what we did um and very long story short we ended up um the the three siblings that were together in a group actually hadn't been living together for quite some time and through all of this process it was determined that they couldn't be reunited Um, and so they were legally separated and we adopted uh, our daughter um, out of that group of three and they're each now in a different placement Mm, so none of them are together Um, and that happens for a variety of reasons but anyway so we brought her home and (laughs) this is the part I'm going to wrap this up quick, but um, there are three things we've done in our life that we were rock solid sure about that when I tell people what we did, I have to always be really clear that I am describing what we needed to do, but Mm -hmm. I am not prescribing (laughs) what you should do. Um, So one would be how I met and married my husband. We have shared that. We have shared that on the podcast. Recently, I think. Recently, and I would say, please don't take that as a prescription (laughs) for how to get a mate. (laughs) Um, Another one would be um, how we decided to come to Des Moines, Mm -hmm. as in we just dropped everything without even having to think about it and said Mm -hmm. yes, and we came here. I would say, on the whole... It's gone all right. Yes, but I (laughs) I wouldn't give anyone that advice. Sure. (laughs) But I mean, you know, it was good. Although of the three, I'd be the most optimistic about that one. Yeah, thanks, Phil. Like, come on down to Des Moines. If you're listening to this, <laughs> that's so true. You don't so, even need to pray do about it. Do you feel a call? You don't you need to pray about obedient. it. You gotta be God's telling you. Yeah. Do it. There's room now. There for do you. it. Um, and so, you know, we just dropped it all and came here. Um, 
Pearl of Great Price, all that. We, we did this. Um, but again, I, I wouldn't say everyone should do it like that all the time. And then the third one would be how we adopted our daughter. And so mm-hmm. essentially we, we found this sibling group, pursued it, kept learning more about the kids and all of that stuff. And throughout all, all of that process, what ended up happening was we learned that she was living in a facility about three hours from Sioux Falls where we were living at the time. And she knew nothing about us or that anyone was even considering adopting her because, of course, they're not going to she's not going to be privy to that information Mm -hmm. Um, until we went through quite a bit of rigorous um, interviewing. And when I say rigorous, I mean, probably 20 hours of meeting with different professionals and people on her team and things like that and determining whether or not we were the right fit. Yeah. for her. I mean, this did not happen easily. Um, and when we went through all of that, eventually it was decided, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna bring her home. And so this is the part where I'm like, this, this is what happened. I'm just telling our story. This is not what you should do, but by all means <laughs> do what you should do. Um, our daughter was just about to turn eight and she was living in a facility for displaced children and um, learned about us um, on the same day that she found out we were adopting her. Hmm. So she went from thinking she was just going to age out of the system in this facility, Mm -hmm. um, not knowing what would come next, all of that, to hearing, Shalia, there is a family who lives in South Dakota who is gonna adopt you. Here's their picture. And they're right. Through that door? No, oh, okay. we were not. <laughs> this was all through her counselors yeah. at the facility. So okay. she had people guiding her through, like um, getting introduced to us through pictures and videos and things like that and all of those things. Um, and so she like literally had never met us before. We had never met her before. So mm-hmm. just sight unseen, we were like, we're going to adopt this kid. And it was all decided before we'd ever met her. Yeah. Um, and so Which that's how it would work in an international adoption. Exactly. <laughs> and so the thing is that um, through foster care, that's not how it almost ever happens, sure. of course, because kids are fostered first. Yeah. And then if they become available for adoption, then mm. you adopt them if you're going to. Um, or if nothing else, they've been placed in your home and you move forward with that. So this is pretty unprecedented. Also, to get the paperwork to bring her home, it was as if like all of the power of the universe uh, every bit of evil was like against this paperwork getting done. And this, yeah, I totally mission. know the feeling. Yeah. And, <laughs> and the same thing happened for you guys. Yeah. And it's pretty common with adoptions, but like there's so much red tape and so much, so much just like, I don't know what we'd call it. Um, just like resistance. oppression, resistance of every kind, senselessness, mm-hmm. ridiculousness. Mm-hmm. Um, just like you feel as if you are just fighting the strongest battle you've ever fought in your life, trying to get this done. Um, this happens to a lot of people, not everybody, but for us, for example, to bring her home across state lines and do this we had every professional agreeing that we were the only family that had approached the point of adopting this child who was qualified to do it and everyone universally agreed that we should take her home that Mm -hmm. we were the best fit um and so we were the only qualified family that had ever made any kind of an inquiry on her or anything like that and we went through quite a lot to get to the point we had been at but it ended up taking so (laughs) Our social worker at Bethany has been with Bethany for like 15 or 20 years. We were the most complicated adoption she had ever done. And it ended up requiring national level um, support from Bethany employees to come in and legally handle everything that was happening. Mm. You guys are special. (laughs) Yeah. I wouldn't say we feel good about being that mm-hmm. special, but it's not it, the kind of special you want to be. <laughs> I don't think that Shalia could ever possibly appreciate how much it took. <laughs> like she'll never know. Yeah, she'll never quite know. So anyway, we brought her home. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah. So um, I don't know. The moral of all those stories is that the and 
I don't know if there is a moral actually, but it can be <laughs> hard. Need to be? It doesn't have to be like our stories were yeah. that we, we encountered some, some resistance, but I mean, what in life worth doing doesn't have that, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, one of the things that I say sometimes, um, you know, I've, so, so my wife, Natalie has, uh, we have two bio children, right? She's given birth twice. And then Vienna of course is adopted. Um, and, I don't want to get in the risky business of comparing anything to physical labor, uh, but insofar <laughs> as adopting is is difficult, it is, and I'm using quotes here. La- it's labor, you know. Mm-hmm. The dad gets to do it too, you mm-hmm. know. Like that, that is significant to me. That, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> like, let's be honest here, dads. We, uh, when it comes time for the baby to be born, oh, yeah. we don't have a, lo- a whole lot to oh, do. I've you know? totally seen Natalie like sitting on the floor of your living room, like deep in a contraction, and you're just sitting there, like, "I'll look like I'm <laughs> praying for you. I got nothing to give." Yeah, but, you can't do anything. But I with can imagine this, that feels very dis. You know, this is there's different. purposeful. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I was part <laughs> of the labor. You know, and every bit of paperwork and all that stuff. Like you guys mm-hmm. were having to go do all the things. Yeah, we kind of split things up. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, now I don't want to minimize what Nat- Natalie's role because she she really did she really did take this thing and and like did the paperwork and so much of it like the fundraising was kind of my side of it um and uh, and and the Lord really blessed that for mm-hmm. us and us too yeah so but I got to be in it you know mm-hmm. and that was meaningful I think as a dad just mm-hmm. in so I hadn't really thought about that but that's true mm-hmm. yeah you used to be much more a part of the whole thing yeah. Yeah, oh, that's an interesting point of view. I'm <laughs> glad you shared that. Good. I'm surprised that I haven't <laughs> said that to you before. <laughs> but and, and also another yeah. thing about adoption is everyone who's had a who's had a biological child understands that moment when you know you first see your child, and and I've heard a lot of people say this, and I I experience this too. Like you, you get a new perspective on God's love for you, you know. Um, and adoption does the same thing in a different way. Like adoption is a theological category. Um, we, when we talk about salvation, we often think about like justification, you know what I mean? Forgiveness for sins and stuff like that. But there's another theme in the Bible of adoption and, mm-hmm. and it, it releases something to us about who God is and what he's done for us that now you get to inhabit, right? And so mm-hmm. there's a way of knowing God and what he's done for us through adoption in the same way that there is through having a child, mm-hmm. you know, um, biologically. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Those are just some of the beautiful things mm-hmm. that I see about adoption um, that I wanted to share even, I felt like it was appropriate because we just got done sharing how kind of hard our, our adoption mm-hmm. journeys were, but all that to say, like, from what I understand, like labor is really hard too. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Being mm-hmm. pregnant ain't a cakewalk. Mm-hmm. Um, everything in life worth doing is going to have those mm-hmm. risks. Anything that's worthwhile at all will be constantly resisted by the mm-hmm. forces of this world and it's worth doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, to extrapolate maybe just like a few quick points out of all of that. Um, don't ask whether or not you can adopt, ask if you should adopt. And if you should adopt, you will at every point you need it, have what you need to do what you need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you hear this a lot, but I know I hear a lot of people who know our story and say, I could never do that. Mm. And I'm like me either. I know. Right. <laughs> you don't even know um it is it has revealed parts of me i didn't know existed (laughs) you know and so people will often say like oh that is amazing i could never do that and they'll maybe say why and it's just because in the moment they feel like a fleeting sense of like insecurity or judgment or something like that like oh they adopted and i don't want to and then they sort of say things or sometimes people are just being truthful they're like i could never do that and i'm like me either but if you know you should do it that's how you know you should do it yeah just don't don't ask yourself if you can do it ask yourself if you should do it and if you should then don't wait i want (laughs) to that reminds me i don't know why i just want to clear this up too like sometimes people look at families that adopt as like we're like saints or like heroes (laughs) you're like no we're more aware of our sin nature than anybody else i am (laughs) i am I am a miserable like sinner. That's what I am. Like adoption has revealed to me oh. how much I need the Lord. <laughs> like yeah. how much I need Jesus. And mm-hmm. um I do not feel like a hero. Yeah. Like I won't I won't go any further clear. than that. Super clear. If you've adopted, you may know what we're talking about, but mm-hmm. you just get a ton of clarity about <laughs> who you are 
and and the beauty of who God is and that you are all desperately in need of him. So It is a chastening experience. It is. So don't ask if you can adopt. Ask if you should. Remember that absolutely no one who adopts is a saint. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Except for my wife, Natalie. Uh, um, <laughs> she amazes me. I think Natalie would probably say she's not a saint. <laughs> she would be agreeing with us if she were here, I'm sure. She but. would. Um, but, you know, so there's just a couple of things. And, um, yeah, every adoption is different. And just understand that you don't have to wonder a ton about, like, where you should adopt from or what the details should be. Just know if you should do it, you'll know what to do. Yeah. And then do it. And I also, you, you said your agency. I never said mine. We, we went through MLJ adoptions, like the letters MLJ. Which sounds like MLK. Yes. But it's uh, not. They're in Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it was a good experience. Yeah. Yes. Check them out. And you could email us at podcast at tablechurchdsm.org with yeah. questions about any of this. That's and true. we'll happily talk. Yeah, we got lots of stuff like fundraising process, adopt together, oh, all that man. stuff. We could talk about that, but we won't go into that. Yes, now. we have so but much. If you want to get into the nitty gritty, let yeah. us know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So something kind of cool about this podcast is that we're going to hear so much from other adoptive parents. And so I um, got a hold of ooh, probably like 15 different uh, adoptive families, um, adoptees and people who uh, have adopted at least one child and um, just ask them some basic questions that I get a lot and I wanted to get their perspective on it. And then I kind of took some of those responses and I told them it would all be uh, totally you know, confidential. So no names, but these are all words straight from adoptive families or people who've been adopted just to talk about their own stories. So mm. we're going to share that. Sweet. Yeah. So I went ahead and just kind of like organized some of the most common uh, answers, feedback that I got into some different topics. And so the first question that I asked him was, what have you learned about adoption and adoption related issues along the way that was new for you? or that surprised you. Okay, so um, one thing that we heard a lot about was just the, the complexities of navigating how to have a relationship with birth parents. And a relationship can take many forms. Like for instance, our adopted daughter, of course, you know, never speaks to her um, bio parents. However, we still have a relationship with them mm-hmm. because she lived an entire life. Mm-hmm. you know, before she came to us. And so we still have a relationship with them and her entire biological family. Like she didn't just become a part of our family and then cease to have an entire, mm-hmm. you know, life of experience and connections before. Um, so anyway, here's some words from real adoptive parents. Uh, here's the first one. I think for me, the hardest part is thinking of the birth mother and birth father. In our case, the birth father doesn't know about our child. For me, it's hard that there is a father out there that doesn't know he has a son, and that breaks my heart. As for our birth mother, I remember holding my son in the hospital and thinking, I get to take him home. I get to walk out of here with my arms full, and she does not. Thinking about how hard that was for her to do. She has two other children. She knows the love she has for her children and the love she has for our boy. Giving up... Our son for adoption was not what she wanted to do, but felt through God that it was the right choice. For that, we are extremely grateful. And I think of this every day when I look at my son. We we went to a lot of lengths to have him in our lives and raise him and love him unconditionally. I couldn't even imagine what it is like for birth mothers and fathers to so selflessly give their children up. Yeah, that's good. It is good. So we have a picture of Vienna's birth mother in her room and um and i don't i think that that picture was taken the day that she came and surrendered her rights as a mother Mm -hmm. like can you imagine Mm -hmm. you know um and so it's just it's heartbreaking and and we just need to honor those parents Mm -hmm. for loving their kids the best way they knew how yep and that's what they did yeah and that's why i think it's so important not to call a child an orphan if they're Mm -hmm. not actually an orphan Mm -hmm. because it, it completely dishonors mm-hmm. the birth parents yeah. and birth family. And so when we call a child an orphan, when they in fact do have a living mm-hmm. mother or father, um, this gets to the heart of like something that you don't think of a lot with adoption until you adopt is, is you don't hear a lot about how complicated it is to weave 
um, someone new into your family while honoring all of the connections that they still have with their place right. of origin, their family of origin. And one of them is I just, I really, really care to absolutely never <laughs> uh, delete the the beating hearts of the people who mm-hmm. brought that child into the world and the family that they're connected to and the place that they came from and all of that stuff. Um, and it's very easy for people outside of your adoption to only see it as like, this child has been added into your family, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and now here they are. They're one of right. us. Um, they don't just materialize <laughs> out of nothing. Yeah, they yeah. came from somewhere and history. someone. So it's and just it, really important to honor that. It, it points out to the fact that adoption is it is like a downstream fix for a much more severe issue mm-hmm. upstream. Yeah. Like know? adoption. I think we would both say this adoption is the last resort. Yeah. It, it, it's never best. Right. <laughs> like there are a hundred other more ideal solutions prior mm-hmm. to adoption. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is nonetheless a, ne- a necessary thing in yep. our world, unfortunately, because of the brokenness and sin that we all have. So, yeah. And I've had a lot of people like in our story and I know I've heard this in other contexts, but People who will say comments such as like, um, I can't believe she just keeps having babies, you know, or I can't believe like, why, why don't you take care of your kids and they should have been adopted sooner, things like Mm -hmm. that. Um, And I always am like really clear to say, no, like we should fight in every way possible to keep every child with Mm -hmm. their biological family, unless it is absolutely required (laughs) for their safety or welfare that they must leave. Um, And because you become a refugee Mm -hmm. essentially. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that bond is incredibly important. And we may judge that we think someone's not in a good enough situation or, um, you know, the child could have a better home somewhere else, but there's so much more to it. Yeah. And it's always best to stay with your yeah. bio parents if you in can. In our process twice, we hired a private investigator to try to find a living relative. Mm-hmm. Um, and like like even, even birth mom, I, best we can tell, gave a false address, you know, like mm-hmm. could never find. And then that's another thing too with adoption, something that they don't tell you too much until you're living it yourself. Um, because it's going to be different for everyone. For instance, you had to prove that Vienna had no other living relatives that could identify mm-hmm. themselves and, and be able to take her, of course, which um, all of that. And for our daughter, too, they don't just simply um, place a child in foster care and remove their parental rights and just leave them in the system. Like mm-hmm. that is something that was years long in a, in a process of, of things going wrong or things like it took a very long time. And also I now I have a daughter who knows this now and for the rest of her life, this will be something that we are constantly navigating is that she has an entire biological family that was deeply interrogated. Mm-hmm to find out if there was anyone that could take her mm-hmm. and there was no one that could or would. Mm-hmm. And so she has to live with that. I mean, yeah. you know, and so this is the kind of stuff that adoptive parents really understand and it's different for everyone, but you don't think of it from the outside, like for the rest of her life, she'll have to know many people were asked. No one was yep. willing or suitable. Yep. Um, and that's just something you have to live with forever. Mm-hmm. There's always a grieving there with that. It never really goes away. Yeah. So. All anyway. right. Okay. So. What would be the next? The, the next one here. There's another similar comment. Not having a blueprint. This was. Let's just review about. the question. The question yes. is, what have you learned about adoption and adoption related issues along the way? That was new for you. That surprised yeah. you. And most people talked about birth parent, biological family connections that were you know, difficult to navigate. So this one said, not having a blueprint for how to create and grow a relationship with our children's biological mother and navigating that in a way that is sensitive to our children's feelings about their story in a world where they're a five second Facebook search away. I know that Mm. feeling. Navigating that well is so important to us and we're figuring it out as we go. Mm -hmm. And that's very true with the internet. It is now you've got to figure out how to navigate this stuff with your kids while they're with you because otherwise they're going to have to figure it out on their own because it's always going to be there. Um, Next one. It's been incredibly difficult to know that our daughter's biological father has other children that he's involved with. Mm. He abandoned her from 20 weeks gestation. It's been so difficult knowing we have to address that situation in the future and not for sure on how to do that properly without her feeling rejection. There isn't a way. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
I would say. Yeah. Um, it's been very difficult handling and learning how to parent through some of her behavioral stuff. It's heartbreaking to see her struggle with issues that have stemmed from trauma that she isn't even aware of yet. Mm-hmm. And then the last one here, some of the court processes were emotionally difficult as the birth mom one showed, no showed, I bet that's a typo, no showed all three termination hearings, but the judge kept asking them to reset it to give her a chance to come. Hmm. So that's common. Yeah. If I were to answer the question, um, I'd probably, it'd probably have something to do with uh, just race and raising my daughter as a black Mm -hmm. person. Mm -hmm. Like, I felt like I had really thought about that before, but you just, there's no way for those Mm -hmm. of us in the majority culture, we have no access to what that living experience is like for somebody Mm -hmm. who's a person of color in America. Mm -hmm. And, and I mean, this summer of course has absolutely thrown that wide open even more. So that, that's like, if I feel like the most, that's the area in which I feel most, um, ill suited, Mm -hmm. obviously, you know, (laughs) but it's such a much bigger, um, omission and, you know, uh, yeah, it's just a bigger thing than than you could ever imagine. And I don't even know. I don't even understand it completely. I just realize yep. how big it is, you know, mm-hmm. so. Yeah, it's not as simple. I mean, I, I also, our adopted daughter is black. Our adopted daughter is African-American. Yours is African. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but um, the amount of people who, like, in our process to adopt our daughter, like, we had to go through so many things. And there's all kinds of stuff that we needed to do to prove that, we knew how to like braid her hair and take care of it. And we knew how to, you know, do all these things. Um, and you go through a lot of stuff through Bethany anyway. Um, uh, if you're adopting um, a child of color, you are really put through the ringer to mm-hmm. get down deep into some of your own stuff and things like that. And they just want to be clear that you're going to be a family that can do this well. Yeah. And um, I had a lot of white friends who would maybe just be in that process with me and would hear about some of the stuff that I was needing to do. And they would be like, that seems incredibly racist. (laughs) You (laughs) know, Um, you know, some people at work, some people would say things like, it just seems incredibly racist that they would put you through all of that. Like you're going to love this child no Mm. matter what. Yeah. And see there, therein lies the fallacy is that they just need love. Yeah. Um, no, there's things they need that we're less equipped to give them. Yeah. And I think that we have to acknowledge that. Yeah. And like throughout our entire process of adopting our daughter, if a black family had come to the surface who I'm not saying bio family, obviously that would have been first choice. Mm-hmm. But if a black family or, you know, like we we basically kept asking, is anyone else able mm-hmm. who might be like for one reason or another better equipped to do this and without a doubt if all things were equal and there was a black family that could have adopted our daughter we would have wanted her to go with them Mm -hmm. and a lot of people don't understand that but it's it is a constant every minute of your day kind of thing Mm -hmm. to live that way so um anyway just yeah there's a lot all right so number two what has been the most difficult part of your adoption experience so far how about since we've already shared our our stuff. How about we just take turns like mm-hmm. sharing these? Yeah, like these I'll, are you'll good. read one, I'll read one. You want to read the first one because okay. I've been talking so much. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm checking checking our time. All right, we're good. Trauma. This person said trauma. In all seriousness, I've learned it's incredibly complex, and while I only speak for Haitian adoptions, so obviously they adopted from Haiti, there's way more under the surface, and there's a ton that people are not told. I feel like people. Uh, I'll start with right and pure intentions, but if we don't have eyes to see what's underneath the surface we are being shown, we'll never understand the real complexities associated with the reasons for relinquishment. All these things contribute to the complex trauma that our kids carry that will become part of our families and impact everyone. Everything I knew about relationships and parenting has been flipped on its head in order to strip away all the surface stuff and go deep to ensure that the core of relationship is rooted in felt safety and the assurance of I got you, safety, protection. Um, physical. physical and emotional. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And trust is the root for needing to feel loved. Um, I learned that we have to train our adopted kids to see, live in, and hopefully start to feel these things. It's shown me that all relationships need this and how so much of this is taken for granted and are the core of the relational issues that most people have. Amen to all of that. Yeah. I Truth. mean, it, it, you, you said it well. And yeah, it's true. I, I don't want to 
I don't know how deep to go into the, the trauma conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but it's just, you know, when you hear people say, well, all kids have stuff, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, man, there's like, when you have a biological child, assuming that you raise them and that you love them, you know, like they're going to get tools. Mm-hmm. Um, From the that, day of conception, they are yes. being like imbibed with mm-hmm. this thing of love yeah. and bonding that is no words for it. Yeah. we Yeah. And, and a child that does not have that, um, I mean, it has serious, it has serious impact on their mm-hmm. brain development, on their emotional and behavioral development. How they see, taste, feel, mm-hmm. experience, smell, yeah. hear, know the world. It's, it's a, it's a, different. it's a bottomless pit. It's a black mm-hmm. hole. Like, you, you know, there's nothing that can, you can ever say or do that will just magically fix it all. It's a long, every single day, um, learning to s- understand the effects of the trauma mm-hmm. in order to help them create the neural pathways in order to have a successful life, mm-hmm. you know? And so, and it's a lifelong thing. Mm-hmm. Never goes um, away. People often ask me, like if I'm explaining, you know, something we're doing with our daughter, the main purpose of it or something like that, they'll be like, how long does that take? And I'm mm-hmm. like a lifetime. Right. That's another <laughs> thing that I didn't grapple with enough before adoption. Mm, yeah. Um, it's not like just a process. period of adjustment. Yeah. It's forever. Listen, it, okay, so I my life, everything's usually just kind of worked out well, you know? Like, I've always had everything I needed. And um, I got into the college I wanted. And I got a scholarship I wanted and all that stuff. Um, so this has forced me into a situation where I know there, it's not just going to get better. Or, well, I shouldn't say that. It, yes, it gets better. Uh, but it's not just going to work out. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? The hope you have is for something much deeper than simply all the problems going away. Mm-hmm. And it's not instantaneous. No, yeah. it's a, it's a it's everyday a lifelong intentionality kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Helping yeah. this child succeed with the challenges that they have because they were deprived of certain things at an mm-hmm. early age. And like this parent said, everything I knew about relationships and parenting has been flipped on its head in order to strip away all the surface stuff and go deep mm-hmm. to ensure that this kid can bond. Um, that is truth. Like you will parent an adopted child often in many ways that are very different from how you would parent your other biological kids mm-hmm. if you have them. Um, and you'll notice that adoptive parents, especially parents who have adopted, you know, any child above infant age, you'll notice that they're doing a lot of things that seem maybe different to mm-hmm. you yeah. <laughs> and just leave them alone. Yeah. Just ask them <laughs> if you can like buy them lunch. Anything I can do for you? Yeah. Don't, don't, comment on any of it yeah. just buy them food and we can um, share stories <laughs> but maybe we'll do another one someday um to, to illustrate that a little color commentary for instance uh, our daughter is now 11 and a half and uh recently she moved entirely into our bedroom and now sleeps on the floor of our bedroom and mm. that seems like it might be an almost permanent thing wow it's so important to her um and she's lived with us for three years. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a good sign mm-hmm. that she knows Absolutely. that. Absolutely, yeah. Um, but to be clear, she's been with us for three years. And at this point, where we're at in development is that we never have a closed door. She is always with me or Jim. And we are never apart, mm. including she sleeps on the floor next to our bed. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. There That's definitely not our, something our daughter, we ever did with our other kids. Yeah, we, we would have a nest <laughs> on the floor. We call it the nest, mm-hmm. you know, like you can always come use the nest. Um, she's mm-hmm. been doing really well with that though lately. But one yeah. thing that our daughter does is um, is she hoards. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. she'll, every little bag and backpack and whatever, her bed is just lined with all sorts of little trinkets and things. Like she just mm-hmm. collects stuff. Mm-hmm. In fact, when she first, I don't know how long, year more, or more since after she came home, like she wouldn't swallow her food. She would chew it. Mm-hmm. She would stick it in her cheek and she'd leave it there all afternoon. Mm-hmm. And it's all stemming from this scarcity mindset. Mm-hmm. Am I going to have Just enough later? Just wanting to feel the thing and know it's yeah. there. Is this going to be there for me later? I was like when I sent over a bunch of stuff that we didn't need anymore to your house yesterday, I was mm-hmm. like, make sure, I told my girls, make sure you tell Natalie in front of the kids that this is for <laughs> everyone. Yeah, that's exactly what you need to do um <laughs> and like even now her immediate impulse is like is there enough for me yeah and and um it, in if everything there could be a whole pot of soup you know or a whole you know dish of cornbread in the kitchen on the counter plenty to go around mm-hmm. but we'll need to get her 
like if she wants seconds, but she hasn't finished her first one yet, you know, instead of saying, well, once you finish your first one, sometimes we'll have to say, okay, we'll set it next to you. You can't eat it until you're done with your first one, but it's here. It's yours. You know, the scarcity mindset is, um, I remember what time Natalie and I were going to go somewhere and we were walking out the door and she said, it was, she went to Rowan's high chair and gave him a kiss. And then we were going to walk out the back door and from the other room, Vienna goes, I heard that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was a while it. ago, but I believe it. that's the kind of thing that you just, you do. And for us, I won't go into very many details here. Um, but, um, for anyone who's experienced it, our daughter has reactive attachment disorder, um, and several other diagnoses um, that I won't talk about on the podcast, but I'm happy to talk about with you personally if you have questions about them or anything like that. If you don't know what RAD is, reactive attachment disorder, Google it. It's not RAD. <laughs> it's not RAD. Um, so <laughs> I, I'm i worrying here that we're like sharing too many horror stories or something. I think it's probably a refreshing balance to how much so? people just, oh, an adoption podcast. That'll mm-hmm. be about how much we need to adopt yeah. people of course you oh, we don't even need to discuss that of right. course people should be adopting people the most important thing for you to know is that number one <laughs> yes christians should adopt children like this is i think we're compelled to this sort of lifestyle like as you are adopted adopt right our pro-life stance leads us to say like we value life in all of its forms you know what i mean and this is one manifestation of that okay uh, but um you also need to do it with eyes wide open. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. I mean, the whole point is it is not necessarily going to be an easy road, but it will make you a lot holier if you participate with God and don't resist it. Yeah. So, um, all right. We're never going to get through all these. So I think maybe we should do gonna, two we're adoption gonna podcasts. We're going <laughs> to, we're good. We're good. We're okay. good. We're good. We, we can do this. Um, cause we've already covered, um, there's a lot of good feedback here from parents, but we've already covered a lot of it. Um, Post-placement trauma, one thing that we can mention is post-placement trauma, um, learning to embrace it and appreciate our daughter in spite of it uh, and because of her story and not be resentful of the ways trauma causes so many things to be challenging, stressful, and scary for the people in our family. That's a good thing to mention because Mm -hmm. if you adopt a child, there is no doubt that they are coming to you. Uh, with a heart that is full of a lot of complex emotions that are very difficult to navigate for them. And then they become yours too. And that means not just you as parents, but any other kids that you have in the home. Um, if if you adopt a child who's come from a hard place, they bring the hard place with them. Hmm. And then it becomes your place too. Yeah, your house gets becomes a hard place. <laughs> yeah, your mm-hmm. your house becomes the hard place. Mm-hmm. Um, and God is there. And if don't ask if you can do it, ask if you should do it, and then just do it if you need to. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, <laughs> one parent said, I don't mean for this to sound negative, but the beautiful, positive parts of adoption were all known and proved true to us when we started the process, but we never heard about the hard things. Well, <laughs> you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so yeah. I like the next question. Yeah, Ta- the next question is more redemptive. <laughs> Talk about some of the gifts your family has received on the journey. Mm-hmm. Let me just say this. Every challenge that adoption brings has a corresponding gift, mm-hmm. okay? I talked about the challenge of being by bi- a biracial family. We're biracial, bicultural, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, that creates challenges. Um, like, I worry about my ability to raise a black child in this world, you know? Mm-hmm. And I got to find others to help me do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that creates a beautiful gift too. being mm-hmm. a biracial family. I mean, that, that is an opportunity for discipleship mm-hmm. that me and Natalie and our kids all have that we wouldn't have otherwise. Mm-hmm. Right. And you can say that about anything like raising a and child. And you're talking about, about discipling you. Like, yes. It is something yeah. that disciples you. Yes. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, raising a child out of trauma, right. Has mm-hmm. obviously challenges to it, but it also has tremendous gifts mm-hmm. to it. Yeah. Um, so there's always a corresponding light Mm -hmm. to the shadow yeah and i would say like the the hardest things about this um way of life for us as a family have also revealed and refined the best things of us too um and there's never a point where i'm gonna say i'm glad all of that bad stuff happened i'm Mm -hmm. not i'm not gonna say that but in all of that bad stuff i saw the best of me and the best of Jim and the best of our other bio kids and the best of, in particular, the best of our adopted daughter. Um, she's still in it. 
and she's still working to get you know up above the surface of all of these things um that takes incredible resilience and strength and you know there she is made of some very intensely strong stuff because of what she's experienced and so i'm not thankful that she has such an intense ability to fight but it is something that can be very powerful in her life so yeah yeah i like it um so <laughs> these parents um this was a great story we found out about half siblings that we didn't know about that we had like as in the one of the spouses actually found out that they had extra siblings they didn't know about it was like what? family secrets that only came to light because of their adoption story <laughs> wow um, we've gained so much love from her biological mother. She not only loves our daughter so much, but she loves our whole family just as much. And so, um, and then like, of course, I'm assuming they're talking about like, just like getting to stay in touch with mm-hmm. other things. So, um, so all this stuff with birth parents, it's not all bad. Um, I didn't, here's the next one. I didn't realize how wide my support network truly went until I started my adoption process. I get I would that. say that's true. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Like, People that I talked to since middle school are like, oh, yeah, well, mm-hmm. we'll support you. I remember <laughs> one day there was a these two people who work for a different church in town that we didn't even know. We just filled out months before like some simple application for a grant that the church mm. gives out for adoptive people. One day we got a call after we did our adoption and these people wanted to meet us at a coffee shop. And we were like, OK. And they were like, we just like to interview people who applied for a grant. They talked to us for a while about our experience and how it was going. And then they said, well, we just decided, you know, unanimously as a board that we wanted to give you $4,000. And they gave me a check. That's amazing. (laughs) I know. They have people who are utter strangers. Yeah. And I was like, this is a formative experience and I'm going to pass this on. Mm. Um, So anyway, cool stuff like that for sure. And there's a lot of cool things here from, from people. Um, Ah, yeah. Uh, The years long experience forced our surrender of the good way we felt we were living and the good plans we had been making. God had Mm -hmm. bigger, harder, more sanctifying plans for our family. And we could never have predicted the way this experience would soften us, redirect us and stir brand new desires to become involved in helping more families and children in distress. Wow. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. There's a letting go of your, how you think things will be. Right. Yep. And um, that forces you to to fall into God more, mm-hmm. and that can never be a bad thing. And all of that is parenting too. So as much as we've said anything about how kids from a hard place really, you know, they bring the hard place with them, mm-hmm. and it becomes your shared burden. Um, also, any child that you have could have any number of physical, emotional, mental, mm-hmm. you know, Absolutely. issues, and so. There is no child that you can have like this is this is parenting. You never know what's next and you never know mm-hmm. what will happen. Um, so whether it's through adoption or biologically, parenting is it's all, all unique. Faith. Yeah. Yeah. And every <laughs> parent, every parenting, faith. every child, every parenting relationship is unique. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? So don't like, not adopt a kid because you don't know what it would be like um, mm-hmm. because you don't know what it would be like with any kid you have. Right. So, yeah. All right. Um, okay. So before we close, we kind of talked a little bit about keeping in touch with culture. That was one question somebody had sent in. What have you done to keep your daughters in touch with their culture as young black women? It's good to recall that um, they are both black and have to deal with navigating life as a black woman, but are from completely different places. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's particular what yeah. we need to do. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, we kind of covered that a little we bit, did. I think. We covered that. Uh, what did you find the most helpful for yourselves and families in preparing for your child to come home? I feel like we could sit on this for just a sec okay. before we're done. This is really the last question, and I think it's a good one. Um, I would say for both of our families, it has been incredibly helpful to us to know that you, for example, already understand things with attachment and bonding. And mm-hmm. things like that. And so you guys don't inappropriately approach our daughter and just dive right in. Right. And I really love that because mm-hmm. you're just about the safest harbor we have <laughs> sure. for interaction. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of, I think if I was going to say anything to this, it's what I wish people knew about my daughter is that 
um, the work and heart that we put into bonding with her is more intense than you could possibly imagine. And we really appreciate it when people kind of keep their distance a bit from her Mm. because I think it's really important for people to understand if a kid does have attachment issues, they will attach themselves sometimes way too willingly and yeah. inappropriately to people who are easy to attach to mm-hmm. and resist the people who are the biggest vulnerability risk to them. Mm-hmm. And so if people, <laughs> this will happen a lot if you adapt little kids, they're really cute and very winsome in public yeah. and things like that. It'll be, look like they're <laughs> doing great. Yeah, they know? will look like a totally healthy, happy little kid and they'll be really cute. And And people will see that our daughter is obviously adopted because we are all white, and she's black. And so people just kind of instantly, like she's very winsome in public and very sweet and adorable and um, obviously adopted. So that means all of that concoction makes people instantly like her and want Mm -hmm. to like dote on her. Mm -hmm. And um, it's like the worst thing in the world, Mm. like for us to have to navigate pulling her in and out of those environments Mm -hmm. because um, she's not being her true self in that environment. And then it is really sticky. So for us, one thing, and I know this is true for a lot of adoptive families, the child that you see Mm-hmm. is not the whole child. Yeah. And so if an adoptive parent gives you a boundary and says, oh, we're not going to do that, just listen to them. Mm-hmm. Don't ask yeah. them why. <laughs> yeah, and you said it well, and I think I suppose I'll just kind of ride on your coattails with that answer. Um, but um, we're really thankful for the people in our lives. And early on, it was a little bit tricky with like my parents, Natalie's parents, like grandparents trying to figure out how to explain this unique kind of thing. They even, like, please don't pick up our child. Right. Yeah. They, like we <laughs> name it a phrase what? for it. They call it cocooning. Like when you come yeah. home, like don't let anyone else touch your child. You know, mm-hmm. you carry that child everywhere don't you go. Don't let anybody give her a snack. Yeah. And, <laughs> and of course that's very hard for mm-hmm. people that love the child. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's a certain trace of that that has to always remain, mm-hmm. I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, that can be difficult to explain, but there's a legitimate reason for mm-hmm. it. You know, we're constantly dealing with people. Uh, our daughter, like you talked about hoarding being mm-hmm. kind of a quirk behavior that continually is a thing yeah. um, that causes you to do a lot of stuff that other people might like raise an eyebrow at. Mm-hmm. Um, for us, it would be our daughter. Um, just she's not actually thinking this through in the moment it's just a a repeat behavior that's going to be there for a while but when she's out with people she just has a way of like manipulatively saying something that she wants even if it's just a stupid thing Mm -hmm. like a piece of paper or a marker Mm. like you know saying something to someone who's not a parent that she would like to have and then seeing if that person will like give it to her Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so we have to be like so on it and people are always like so willing to be like over the top nice and kind and helpful to her right. and so like there's all these things where i'm like we need to take that back we need to give that back uh, mm-hmm. what she said about needing that is actually completely made up i'm sorry mm-hmm. but we need to give it back and they'll be like why are you making this a thing right you know and you're like well i'm trying yeah. to help her not do it anymore <laughs> right no that's true what you're saying is so true. whatever adoptive parents do um that you're like what just be like can i get you a coffee i'll bring it to you what do you want <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so as we wrap up here let's just you, you you mentioned nomenclature earlier like jargon let's talk about some jargon or like to do like no-nos you know what i mean yeah. um okay so are you real ever, kids are you ever gonna have a child of your own yeah that's real. a no-no <laughs> yeah <laughs> a real kids for us we had Four biological kids and then people were like it's so amazing that you adopted you know when you already had Mm-hmm. a whole family, you know, yeah. or like, you know, uh, it's so amazing, you know, or how do your real kids feel about this or, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of stuff. Or, yeah. you Will know, you have whatever. any more children of your own? Yeah. Yeah. Bio, they're <laughs> bio kids and adopted kids. Yeah. That's how it is. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to like hide that because their whole life they're going to be navigating mm-hmm. the reality of being adopted. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, also one of the, <laughs> I don't know, this might be silly. Maybe some people probably bigger, <laughs> issues with it than others you know you don't adopt dogs you adopt (laughs) children (laughs) and let's not let's not correlate the two (laughs) how do you feel about that because you're a dog lover Uh, i am a dog lover i mean people rescue dogs there we go I can, I can get behind that i think it's clearer to say you rescue a dog you adopt a child um 
Sure. Because uh, whatever you, you did re- with that dog ain't the same. It, you don't rescue a child, first of all. You're not a savior. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this child is being grafted into your family, and you are being grafted into them. You're welcoming them into your home. Yeah. And and it goes two ways. Like I said before, like all the good and the hard that they came with becomes your good and hard too. They're not just grafted into your family, you're grafted into theirs. Mm -hmm. There's a way in which they're your child and that's particular, but it means that your whole family changes too. Mm -hmm. So you rescue a dog, the dog doesn't like become a part of you. Right. (laughs) In the same way. Um, Yeah, so so there's that. Um, (laughs) I, I would say, oh, some of the biggest stuff would be, well, for us, adopting a child from foster care. The amount of pity mm-hmm. is intense and very frustrating for me. How much pity is bestowed on our daughter mm-hmm. um, in lots of really weird, gross ways um, and by people who have very good intentions. But ugh, well, it's difficult. Yeah, and I, I hope that people listening are like, oh boy, I hope I don't say the wrong thing to you guys. Yeah, but then you know? again, we're helping you think about it now so that when you actually know somebody who's adopted, sure. don't and, do it. <laughs> and just so you know, like I do the wrong thing every day. You know what I mean? Like yeah. <laughs> you don't become an adoptive parent to suddenly know all the right things to do. Mm-hmm. No, nope, you just uh, fumble along learning as much as you can. Yeah, so. and for anybody who has adopted and it has been difficult or if you're considering adopting and you're like, whoa, this might be really hard, just remember... I've always said this, like, it's going to be difficult. It will completely change your family. And it's an opportunity to get holy, um, like anything difficult is. And it's really incredible. If you should do it, just do it. And remember, no matter how difficult it is, you might be grieving something that's very difficult, but that's not the same as regret. And so I don't, I don't think that your family or our family has ever for a moment regretted being right. a part of any of this. Right. Parents so. don't regret their children. No, absolutely not. So I know this has all sounded really you know, intense, <laughs> but the fact of the matter is nothing about adoption is just fluffy and beautiful. It's mm. real life. So it's intense Yeah, and good. There's some beautiful things. <laughs> Every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I suppose we'll leave it on that note. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Hope to hope you'll tune in next time.